Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, uh, you got your Uversion app open, you got your bulletin that we handed you on the way in. Uh, well, we are now in the fifth part of our Aloha series. And in this, I've um, just been enjoying looking at the the uh, beginnings and the endings of the epistles, the, the hellos and the goodbyes. And so we're all aware that they're in, in Hawaii, that aloha is used for hello and goodbye. And so we're just looking at the hellos and the goodbyes of the epistles, these things that so many times we can kind of read over. We feel like maybe the, the meat is held in the middle, and this is just him getting started, just saying hi, and just saying, oh yeah, I'll see you later, and that's all that the, the alohas of the scriptures are, but it's not. Every piece is inspired by the, by the Holy Spirit. Each piece is, is uh, good for us to be able to grow from, and so I want us to just kind of be reminded of that, that there are no insignificant pieces of the scriptures. And in fact, if we look at it in its, in, in its entirety, and we look at the, a bunch of these alohas, we see that these things get repeated, and they're really, really weighty. They're really, really significant. And so we've just been jumping off with this concept that the hellos and the goodbyes of the epistles help us to embrace um, that all of God, all that God has for us. And it, as I laid these out and I was looking at it, um, I got all of what the concepts that were there, and it ended up working out that some well-known Hawaiian words ended up being what was being communicated. We Obviously, aloha of grace and peace. Uh, that's what aloha actually means. It doesn't mean hello. It doesn't mean goodbye. It means grace and peace and mercy, and it is this very rich, rich word. And so we, we looked at that, that grace and peace get offered uh, every time that this, um, one of the epistles, one of those letters gets, uh, gets started. And also the concept of ohana, the concept of family, and mahalo, of thank you, and all these different things. Well, there's another word that a lot of people are familiar with, which is kahuna. And so, and we've talked about the big kahuna. You've heard about that, which usually people talk about. He's the big boss. He's the big kahuna. I thought the word kahuna meant boss, because that's all I've ever heard. Is oh, uh, oh yeah, so and so is the big kahuna. Kahuna doesn't mean boss. Kahuna means priest. That's what kahuna means. And there in the, the island, people are a spiritual people. And so, yes, then the, the, the priest, he's kind of the, the top dog there. He carries a lot of weight uh, historically there. And so that would translate. But that's what that means. And as we look at the epistles, that over and over again, whether it was Paul or Peter or James, any of these guys who are, who are writing, they open up with a declaration of understanding who they are in Christ and the role that they have, their, their priestly minister role. So as we look at this, folks, you and I, we need to be aware. We need to be aware of, of who we are in Christ. We've got to be aware of it. We've got to understand who we are, God, that we are who God says we are. In fact, there's a song that we sing on a regular basis. is I am who you say I am. And we have to be ready to embrace that because there's a lot of tension out there. There's a lot of other voices trying to define us. 
In fact, we sang that song at our kids' camp um, this past June. And so I love going to kids' camp. It's one of my favorite things. I love that we do our own kids' camp. And so we're there at Alto Frio um, there in Leakey, Texas, and, and we're having one of our services. And I noticed that one of our younger campers um, is there, and uh, she's about, she was finished the first grade, going to be going into the, into the second grade. And, and anyway, she's there, and uh, this, we're singing this song, I Am Who You Say I Am. And normally this little girl is very connected and very involved, and, and she's sitting there in the chairs, and she's like, I'm not, I'm, she's not involved, participating at all. So I walk over to her, camp's busy, maybe she's tired, you know, maybe she's just needing a nap, whatever. So I just go and say, hey, hey, are you okay? How are you doing? She's like, I don't like this song. Like, Ooh, I did not expect that. Then I was like, okay, this is a fantastic song. What's, what's wrong with this song? Well, she says, I'm not going to say that. It says, I am who you say I am, and I don't want to say that. And I was like, what's going on? And she said, well, at school, um, they call me names, and they say I'm a bully. And I'm not going to say that I am who you say I am. I'm not going to say that I am who other people say I am. And I was like, oh, sweetheart, no, that this is saying that we are who God says we are, not what other people say we are, that we are who God says we are. And as soon as she understood that, she's like, oh, I like that. She gets up and she starts, start, she starts singing. She goes over and participates. But just that concept of I am who you say I am without kind of the spiritual connection. She's like, I, you are, no, you are not going to define me. And I was like, well, I kind of appreciate the tenacity of this little girl. It's like, nope. And boy, she was locked down. There's some people say some not very th nice things about me. And, and first off, how heartbreaking is it that this was the experience of a first grade girl that was already having to deal with what her, her little peers were saying about who she was and trying to place an, an identity on her that she was saying, I am not going to own that. That is not who I am. But how wonderful was it that she began to say, yeah, I can embrace who God says I am. I can begin to embrace that there are so many different voices trying to define who we are. It reminds me of our uh, parking lot. We used to do youth ministry over in the Village Shopping Center years ago. And, and there <coughs> they uh, had, had striped the uh, parking lot multiple times and so it was like this the, as the stripes kind of faded out kind of like our parking lot we need to we're going to one day seal coat that and get some nice stripes out there you won't have to guess where to park and so uh, uh, right now it's a guesswork so um, but anyways they it would just kind of faded down and then they would put in a new set of stripes but they didn't do the set of stripes where the old stripes were no some of the new stripers is like well it that we can stripe it better. And then the third set of people, they kind of faded. And the third set of people, they striped it a little different. And so you would pull into the parking lot, and there was three different sets of striping in the parking lot. And you're like, which ones do I use? And then finally somebody would just choose a set. And then once somebody had chosen a set, well, then the next person kind of knows where to go. 
And so, and then once, you, once that first decision had been made, everything else kind of begins to come in and make an alignment with it. And folks, that is how you and I are. When we finally begin to make a decision, this is where I'm going to park. This is where I'm going to be. Everything else needs to come in alignment with that. And when we say, I am who God says I am, then that sets us up that everything that doesn't align with what God says gets rejected. Everything that doesn't align with what he says about us automatically gets ignored because we've already made the decision, this is where I'm going to park my life, this is where I am. And the rest of these that are trying to compete for where I should be and where things should align are obviously not correct. But if we've not settled on where God says we are, then they're still up for debate. It's still up. What do I do here? What do I, well, once we say, I am who we say, I am what does the rest of that song say? I'm a child of God. I'm God's child. Well, guess what? Then I'm going to do something that, that lines up with what my family is supposed to be. I'm part of the family of God. And things begin to line up along that nature. Let's go ahead and let's look at how Paul opens up Romans chapter 1. Paul says right off the bat, gives his name, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. It's like, who give, what gives you the right to write a letter to all the believers in Rome? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a servant of Christ. I'm just trying to serve God here. That's all. I'm just trying to serve God. That's what emboldened him. That's what gave him the courage to go ahead and write this letter and begin to unwittingly pen Scripture. He's not sitting there thinking, man, this is, at some point there's going to be a group of people on the other side of the planet in an, old, in an old grocery store, in an old furniture store, trying to figure out how to love on God and, and walk with God, and that they're going to need some, something. No, he's just writing. He's just writing to the group of people in Rome to give them some direction, to help them understand their relationship with God. He doesn't know he's penning Scripture, but he writes with this confidence that he is a servant of God. Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. He understands who he is. And what because he understood who he is, it's not he's not being arrogant, he's not being brash, he's not being boastful. He's just this is who I am. This is my assignment. This is what I do. And very quickly he begins to remind the Roman believers of who they are. By the time we get to verse 7, he says, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We see these concepts that we've already covered, the, the grace and peace and the, and the family. And he begins to remind them, remind them of who they are so that they have the right mindset on when they begin to read what he has to say to them. Folks, to fully live life in Christ, we must know who we are in Christ. To fully live life in Christ, we got to understand who we are. And part of this discovery and part of this time in the scriptures is the finding out who we are. We've had the wrong mentality. We've had the wrong mindset. We've had the wrong paradigm. And we say yes to Jesus and we step over from death to life. And that's not the end, folks. That's the beginning. We begin this beautiful transformation and letting God work in and through our lives. See, Peter acknowledges who he is 
and who they are in the very first breath of 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are the righteousness of God. Who, oh, sorry, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. You received a faith as precious as ours. In case you have forgotten how precious your faith is, it's just as precious as, as mine. As Peter, who Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't, <coughs> won't be able to prevail against it. Peter, who was there with Jesus in some of Peter's high moments and some of Peter's low, Peter's low moments. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw Jesus transformed and take on his glorious form. Peter, who was restored after he denied Christ. Peter, who pulled his sword out, chopped a guy's ear off because he was ready to fight to defend Jesus. Saw Jesus pick that ear up and stick it back on the guy's head. Peter, who's who saw the empty tomb and saw the resurrected Jesus, that guy's faith, that guy's faith, he's writing and says, your faith is like as precious as ours, as precious as mine. Reminding them, reminding them of who they are. Folks, that is you and I. There's no difference in our faith and Peter's faith. It's just as precious, it's just as real, and it's just as life transforming I love hearing 1 Peter 2 he's been writing for a little bit and, and, and saying what's on his heart here in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 he begins to just spell out these beautiful things of who we are in case they had forgotten 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says but you are a chosen people you're chosen you're chosen there's something really special about being chosen. As a guy who was not athletic and had to go through the pain of picking teams, um, by the fifth grade, everybody realized uh, Brandon is not going to be able to help us at kickball. And so you go through the different pieces, and man, does somebody, when somebody chooses you, you're like, yes, it's awesome. And sadly, somebody has to be picked last, and so... I had to take one for the team a few times. And, um, but how beautiful it is to be chosen. To be chosen. You're chosen. God is not stuck with you. He didn't say, I love all of humanity. And oh, what? Uh, well, I guess I get that joker too. <sighs> well, you, you know, you just get the batch and you just have to get stuck with what you're stuck with. No, he chose you. I love it that he leads off with that you're chosen. You're chosen. Never forget that you're chosen. You're a royal priesthood. A royal kahunahood. You're a royal priesthood. I love that concept of the, the royalty. We don't seem to begin to understand that as Americans, we're, we're fascinated by it. We're fascinated by royalty. It's, it's an amazing thing. Everybody follows what's happening with, with uh, the the prince and princesses and all those in England, but we don't understand the concepts of what it means to be able to be royal. But here we're called a royal priesthood. We're here and we have this, this role that we get to embrace. We get to minister to others and be this connection is what priests do. 
that we're a holy nation, that we've already been sanctified. God looks at us and calls us through the lens of holiness. That is a scary word to most people. Holiness is a scary word, but holiness is something that's been imparted to us. What, that, that, that we are, are perfect because of what Christ has done. That we're God's special possession. God's special possession. You all grew up in a household. All of us did. Grew up in a household. That you could roughhouse and you could knock some things over, but there's at least one thing in that house. You better not knock that over. Because mama is going to beat you so bad that you're replaceable, but that thing wasn't. She can make another looks a lot like you. But you better not break that thing. We all understand the concept of a household with a special possession. Whether it was a curio cabinet with a bunch of them or there was one special item. Every household has something in it that is cherished and precious. Whether it's sentimental value or material value, free market value. There's something there and we are God's special possession. He paid the ultimate price. Anytime you ever worry about your worth, remember what God paid for you. Remember what he paid. He paid Jesus. Heaven's best. We're a special possession. That's who we are. That you may declare the praises of him called, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. There was a time that this was not the truth. But once you were not a people. But now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. This is who we are. And we're not going to be able to, to make sure that everything else begins to align. If we don't get this first piece in that first parking slot first. We understand who we are. And then everything else can come in a line and we can recognize when something is not in proper alignment. It's real easy to notice when something's not in proper alignment when we understand how we are defined. And I want you to notice this. I want you to notice that this is not who we're supposed to be. He didn't say, hey, bunch of jokers, don't you remember you're supposed to be a royal priesthood? You're supposed to be a holy nation you ought to be acting like you're this. No, he says, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who we are defined as. It's not who we're supposed to be. This is who we are. This is who we are. I get the privilege of watching a lot of Hallmark movies. And so I uh, enjoy hanging out with my wife. And she likes to watch the Hallmark movies. And so we'll have those on, and there's a recurring theme that takes place in them. There's a few little of uh, plot lines. I think they have say, hey, we haven't done this plot line in a while. And so they pull it out, and they fill in the gaps and create some different stuff. And, and one of the plot lines that takes place is along the lines of the Princess Diaries type plot line. That there is somebody who's just living their ordinary life over here in the United States. And then they find out, oh my goodness, my great, 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 great somebody is some little tiny country in Europe. 
um, that happens to be beautiful, picturesque, and has had this castle awaiting them, this, this whole this whole, uh, all these lands, all these resources, and now they need you to come back and to, to rule the nation. And um, there's, there's got to be some sort of little undercurring thing that's alive in people that say, oh, that would absolutely just be amazing. And I think it taps into this idea that we recognize that we are made in the image of God. And there is this place where we feel like, man, somehow we've got to have been called to more than this. We get into the, just the, the dull existence of life, and there's something that begins to, to rumble around in us. And then we, we watch these movies, and we watch these things, and we're like, yeah, there's something true about that. Yeah, it seems kind of fairy tale and it seems kind of far-fetched, but there's something that's like exciting about that, that maybe that's me. Maybe somebody is going to come and tap me on the shoulder and say, you know what, There's the limo's waiting for you. We've got the private jet down at, at, at Mathis Field, and we're flying you away. We need you to come and rule our country. You're like, one day it's going to happen, and they're going to come get me. And, and it's, it's this thing that... that are, we recognize it down deep in our spirits, down deep in our soul, that there's this place where we're called to more. That we're called to more, and that's because we're made in God's image. And that is, one of the, again, one of the beautiful things of getting into the scriptures. We begin to see that we really were. We really are called to more. We really are a royal priesthood. We really are a holy nation. We really are a chosen people. We really are living under a place of mercy. We really are his people. That is who we really are. And see, the transformation, it comes not from being. It comes from being a new creation, not a cleaned up old creation. It comes from being a new creation, of finding out who we are truly are and in all those storylines and all those princess diaries type movies all of a sudden there's this discovery of who they are somebody says no you are this based on your birth you are this and there's some awkwardness and there's some weirdness and there's some things that they didn't grow up with and they're having to learn some new things but it's because of who they are they're not having to become that they are that and that's the way it rolls with you and I. We begin to recognize that maybe we've been living life a little differently than we've been called to all along. And as the scriptures begin to speak to us and the Holy Spirit begins to reveal, no, there's a new way of living. There's a new way of doing things. And sometimes it's a little awkward. And sometimes we, we, we do the wrong thing. But guess what? It doesn't change who we are. It doesn't change who we are. We don't have to do those things to become it. And we are a new creation. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Jesus took care of it. Jesus took care of death for everyone. And that's death, separation from God, all, all that is involved in the sin part of death. It says that he died for all, and though, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one 
from a worldly point of view. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. We recognize, we are so convinced that Jesus completely took care of all of it. Now we change our view of everyone we encounter. And we see them the way Christ has made them. We see them. We begin to interact with them. We begin to interact with them. Guess what? The person in the Princess Diaries movie, they're just doing their thing. Being a barista somewhere. For some reason, it's always a barista. And they're a barista and they're making coffee. And then somebody walks through the door and they got their suit and they got their stuff and they got the car with the little flags and they pull in and they park next to a fire hydrant like, they, like they're better than everybody else. And they come in and they walk up to the counter and they say, your majesty. And then the latte overflows and they're like, stuff goes everywhere and there's problems with the latte. And they're like, what? They're like, yeah, your, your majesty. Here's the scroll. It's you. And when that person that walks through the door begins to engage with them like they, who they know them to be already, whether they recognize it or not. Whether they recognize it or not. How, how amazing would it be? How amazing? What would this do to our community? If every child of God began, who was aware that they're a child of God, began to deal with every other person they dealt with as if they're a child of God. What would, what would happen? What would happen? We begin to interact with them. And they're like, you've lost your mind. What? Yeah, it would be awkward a little bit. But you know what? I will begin to change everything. That change never happens for the barista. Even though it's already in who they are, it never changes until somebody comes in and says, Your Majesty. Until somebody begins to recognize and treat them like who they are. Folks, if you and I, we begin to engage, we begin to connect on that level, it will change everything. And Paul writes, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I love this idea that the creator gets to define his creation. No one gets to define you but God. Nobody gets to define you but God. The creator gets to define his creation. We keep going. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. He's done all the work and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, the ministry of reconciliation, what is that? It's regarding no one according to the worldly point of view. Our ministry of reconciliation is everyone we meet. Your majesty. Your majesty. What are you talking about? You're weird. Man, no, you're a, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation because God, guess what? No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. Because God was in Christ reconciling you to himself. It's already done. It's already provided for. It's already taken care of. That is who you are. That's what he has provided. 
It's what he has provided. He says he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, if I can say that word. That God was not... Uh, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. <laughs> oh. If God's not counting people's sins against them, why do we do it so often? Mm, I'll just leave that there. <laughs> and he has committed to us the, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is what we do. God's already reconciled himself to you. Why don't you just be reconciled back to God? Just receive what he's done for you. Galatians 6.15 says, right now, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. What this is talking about is whether it's the doing the, the old, the, the law part, which required circumcision, or not having the law, which didn't care about it. It says that none of that, what counts is the new creation. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Folks, our bottom line today, our bottom line today is that identity indicates our destiny. What are you going to identify with? Where are you going to park that car? Because that is going to indicate how everything else comes into line. Your identity indicates your destiny. Folks, God is for us from first to last. He's for us from aloha to aloha. He's done the work. He has chosen you. He has done it. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's called us to just love on people, declare his goodness, and tell people, man, come on, you're chosen. Just choose him back. He's chosen you. Just choose him back. My wife wasn't joking earlier when she's talking about just even with locally as a church. That they're on the, on the car that for us to, to choose us back. We've already chosen you. And it's true. We've already chosen you. We'd love to have you be a part of this church. You just have to choose us back. But on a bigger level, God's already chosen you. It has nothing to do with being a part of Celebration Church. He's already chosen you. And you just choose him back. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.